0: The mind is really a funny, absurd place, and it, we don't really have to take it so seriously. So, if I could kind of send that message to young people that all this whole thing is about is about paying attention to your life with kindness and not taking the things that happen in your head so seriously, if I can plant that seed of just having love for yourself, having love for others, do your best to stay present don't be so hard on yourself and you know there's there's nothing to hold on to in that box called your head just let that stuff come and go and laugh at it sometimes i just wanted to help young people where they are and then help them to not develop habits that are really hard to unravel as we get older
1: Ofosu Jones Corte, a.k.a. Born I, has been practicing meditation since 1999. In 2002, he met his teacher Bhante Budrakita, who taught him Vipassana meditation in the Burmese tradition. Ofosu has taught with the Insight Meditation Community of Washington, D.C. since 2004, and has also served as a guest teacher with the Insight Meditation Society. He is currently a guest teacher at Spirit Rock Meditation Center. Ofosu has been working with Minds, Incorporated since 2014 to bring mindfulness practice to schools. Ofosu is also an accomplished hip-hop and electronic music artist performing under the stage name Born I and often weaves Buddhist philosophy into his music. He currently lives in Washington, D.C. with his wife and their four children. You are listening to Sit, Breathe, Bow, a podcast for practitioners. Each week, leading Buddhist teachers share life experiences and insights to help guide your meditation practice, as well as your life off of the cushion. I am your host, Ian Whitemar. This podcast is sponsored by the Quantum Online Sangha, a virtual Zen practice community of the International Quantum School of Zen. Members of the online sangha meditate together, study with teachers, and participate in workshops and courses to help develop their practice. To find out more, visit quanamzenonline.org. Listeners of Sit, Breathe, Bow are eligible for a free month of training using the promo code Sit, Breathe, Bow, all one word. Fosu, you've been practicing for about 20 years now, and I'm wondering what brought you to the practice in the beginning.
0: The story of how I came to to Buddhist practice begins really when I was um, very, very young. I kind of condense all of my childhood into age six. I pretty much say anything that happened in my young, young childhood, I think it all happened when I was six, but I'm sure it happened anywhere between. Zero and ten. My mother, upon learning that she couldn't have any other children after she had me, um, and she, having come from a very big family, was was kind of in a space where she was um, looking for some spiritual answers. She's also an immigrant. My parents are from Ghana in West Africa, so there was uh, there was this sense of being kind of. Uh, knew in a in a foreign country with um, um, coming from a very big family and and learning that I would be the only child she would have when she had much when she had different plans and so she began to turn to yoga and um, eventually Buddhism as a way of um, helping her navigate the uh, Curveballs that life was suddenly throwing her. Um, she became a she became a practitioner of the uh, Nichiren Soshu tradition, where the primary practice is the chanting of nam Yohō mm-hmm. A lot of people of color who practiced Buddhism during that time, the the early eighties and even prior to that, had come through the Nichiren social tradition, or also known as the Soka Gakkai tradition. I think it depends on who is the, who's at the head of that tradition is how you designate the, the naming of it. Right. Um, but there were various artists like Tina Turner and Herbie Hancock, uh, et cetera, who were kind of exposing people in the black community to uh, this particular school of Buddhism. And I'm not sure how my mom found out about it, but it became a very important part of her life. And so I remember when she got her a gohanzan and brought that home, I kind of stole that from her and put it in my (laughs) room. Um, And uh, I was always, I remember going to the temples with her, seeing the monks um, or the priests and really being kind of lulled into a serene place by all the chanting. And it was something that was completely outside of my life experience, you know, as a, as an african slash American kid, um I was pretty fascinated with what my mom was up to uh, every couple of evenings and so really, I kind of became a Buddhist practitioner through my mother when I was very, very young. That said, my parents were not extraordinarily religious, and so I had kind of a free reign to explore and discover other Traditions um, and spirituality, definitely through Christianity, Islam, um, Hinduism, etc. All, all of those, all of those studies, ultimately found me back at Buddhist practice. I was in college. We were watching a film called Kundun, which is a biopic about the um, the Dalai Lama. And uh, shortly after that, my um, my now my then girlfriend, now wife, became pregnant with our first child, Sundara. And they, I, there just seemed to be all kinds of different correlations between this new kid coming along and me being reintroduced to my Buddhist practice and remembering what my mother had shared with me. And so I just took a deep dive and I have not come out of the water since then.
1: <laughs> I feel like, and this is just, I don't know, this is just me being gossipy, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like sometimes the Nichiren community sometimes gets, you know, you hear, sometimes so, not s- the nicest. S- yeah.
0: <laughs> stories and they get a bad rap. They kind of get a bad rap. As, but one as thing, as, like, they've authentic school or something like that. Yeah.
1: Know? But one thing that they've, from f- just from an outsider's perspective, they actually are very appealing to the people of color community in yeah. ways that a lot of the Vipassana and Zen communities really haven't, Yeah, really haven't been and so it's just such an interesting i'm not you know and i'll be honest with you i'm i'm not
0: a hundred percent sure why that is yeah i do know i do know that my mother's my mother's mantra was to use the mantra for everything Mm -hmm. you know which if you feel if you're feeling if you are feeling um stressed out you know Chant Nami Horenge Kyo. If you're going on a job interview and you want to get that job, you know, put your intention on the chanting of the uh,
1: The Lotus Sutra. The Lotus
0: Sutra. Right. And I mean, if you think about the Lotus Sutra as being kind of like the quintessential um, expression of what we're supposed to be doing as human beings, uh, there is maybe a kind of. blessing of mm-hmm. uh, or or grace in in in, uh, in embedded into it uh, in some way and so um, and, and maybe all of the understandings about impermanence and 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 the right aspirations and things like that maybe all of those things are all tied into just the simple recitation of Nami horingi cure. I know mm-hmm. Tibetans believe that the that um you know Hum can cure all kinds of things and mm-hmm. um and uh, you know can serves to serve to purify us in certain kind of ways if we chant um, faithfully and correctly and stuff like that. So I don't I'm I I th- I think the simplicity of the nature practice uh, was just more inviting, and the, and maybe some of the devotional aspects of it also um, made it a, a little bit of a, a more palatable bridge from either Christian or Muslim backgrounds, which most um, people of color come from. Um, but, you know, we could speculate all day about yeah, this and yeah, we still could. not find the answer. So, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's one of those things that's interesting to me when I, you know, I hear it somewhat disparaged and yet it's done well reaching a population that, that other
0: uh, that uh, is other is has otherwise been historically underserved by the other population. Right. So, right. yeah. It's just people's opinions and views and all that stuff.
1: <laughs> right. But when you uh, decided to uh, make the leap with your own journey, mm-hmm. you, you didn't yeah. stay in the Nichiren tradition. You, no. you went into the Vipassana tradition. Yeah. And I'm wondering, uh, if, is that because of the, this particular teacher that you found? Or um, was it something else that brought you in that direction? Or
0: I've always wanted to, in any spiritual undertaking... I always wanted to find the be- to go to the beginning. Um mm-hmm. because I feel like traditions th- that have been around for a while get embellished and you know they they are they carry the the flavor of those embellishments and there's no problem with that but I just that's just that's just me. So when I was when I was Delving into Christianity, I was really delving into Judaism first, Hmm. Um, and then and the the old trying to understand like the earliest parts of of uh, you know how the religion began, how the tradition began, and who the key players were and things like that. And so it really wasn't any different when I started practicing Buddhism in my own journey. I did get my I did sort of begin with. <laughs> the newest school. So the Vajrayana was what really appealed to me at the beginning because it was the Dalai, the story of the Dalai Lama and and the personage of the Dalai Lama who, who that really inspired me and in, in to um to to begin practicing again. And it was the reading of the Prajamparamita Sutra that um really hit me like a thunderbolt. And so it was, it, it, it was kind of the Vajrayana angle that started, so it was interesting. But then as I started to, I, I had a worldview. My ontological view was very much in line with the Madhyamaka, Prasangika viewpoint as, as introduced by Nagarjuna, it just about emptiness. And I was really all about that. But when I was practicing, I wasn't trying to like visualize deities and do all bunch of crazy shit. I just wanted to sit and breathe, <laughs> which 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 Vipassana gave me the ability to do that. So my my worldview was very much in line with the um, Prasangika, the, with the middle way schools. Right. And then my practice just felt better to be just super simple. And so that's what learning Vipassana from my teacher gave me just a very simple but super effective practice
1: and you've been working with youth and teens now mm-hmm. for quite a while it yeah. seems maybe over 10 years or so yeah, yeah and when i started doing research about you i realized i really haven't interviewed anybody who's focused so specifically on that audience and there was something that you wrote online that you know kind of like my mind just popped open i was like oh my god what are we doing why are we not focusing so much more on these uh on this population and um i'm just wondering if you can say a little bit about what your experience is like and why you decided to to work so closely with with younger uh practitioners and um what that's like sure
0: i i'll start from my childhood which was which for all of its for all of the for all of the 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 blessings that i had being a kid um I, i also had a lot of internal um difficulties um, and I suffered from anxiety and depression quite quietly. I'd never really brought that up too much to my parents, even though they might have known. I had some very serious dances with um, suicidal thoughts and urges and and it came close a couple of times to really doing myself some serious harm. And thankfully, by just not wanting to hurt my parents' feelings, um, I was able to sort of navigate through, those darker patches and and come out uh on on the other side of it and from one so on the one hand i remember childhood as being this 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 time in your life where it's beautiful but then it's also kind of fraught with um these invisible difficulties that come from within and from without sometimes they are sometimes they're not invisible sometimes they're you know, very tangible, but there's also a lot of intangible things happening within the mind and the body that can make childhood, like I said, beautiful and difficult. On top of that, when I began to practice meditation in earnest, after not having observed my own mind in a, in a, in a real way for 20 plus years, I found it very difficult to sit with myself.
1: Mm. I
0: hated it. I re- I, I, I Sometimes I don't know how I have continued to practice this long because it, sitting meditation conti- is, as my practice has, has developed, I, I can say that sitting practice has become a refuge for me and, and, and in many ways a joy for me at times. But for the bulk of my practice, I freaking hated sitting. <laughs> I still did it. I just hated it, hated it, hated it. And, um, because all it would do, all I would do was just bang my head against the wall of my own self hatred and my own anxiety and all the things wrong with myself. And so it really was like this calcified wall that I wish I would have been chipping away at or not even allowed myself to build from when I was a kid. Hmm. And so if I can, the mind is really a funny, absurd place. And it, we don't really have to take it so seriously. So if I could kind of spread, send that message to young people that all this whole thing is about is about paying attention to your life with kindness and not taking the things that happen in your head so seriously. If I can plant that seed, that's what Bhante Buddha Rakita always calls it, you know, planting seeds. And I think that that's a, a general Buddhist theme. But if I could just plant that seed of Having love for yourself, having love for others, do your best to stay present. Don't be so hard on yourself. And you know, there's there's nothing to hold on to in that box called your head. Just let that stuff come and go. Is you know, and laugh at it sometimes. So it, that's that's really it. I just kind of wanted to to help young people where they are, and then help them to not develop habits that are really hard to unravel as we get older
1: and how is it different working with you know young people versus um you know older practitioners attention span (laughs) yeah right (laughs) um so
0: i work with kids as young as five Um, and then if you're talking about my own children, then that's as young as three. But, Mm -hmm. um, I work with kids as young as five, all the way up to, um, you know, the, the teenage level and then young adults and adults as, as people mature, their, their enthusiasm for practicing is kind of self generated for a lot of young kids, you know, of their parents are bringing them to, for the first time where they're being kind of. Or they don't have a choice. This is like, Hey, you know, your school's doing this and you have to do it. Um, Hmm. so there, so you have varying degrees of enthusiasm that you have to work with. So that means finding a way to make yourself an engaging person to make what you're offering engaging and fun. You know, when you get to adolescence, there is this kind of engaged, disengaged engagement, if you will. Most adolescents are really interested in what the teachings have to offer but th- them being adolescents it's very difficult for them to show that they're interested <laughs> they'll probably they're most likely show the opposite so so until until you have developed a sort of rapport and a trust with them trust is a big thing with adolescents and fun is a big thing with the super young with kids like 5 to 5 to 10 you know you're you're really wanting to to offer um, simple principles and simple practices, getting them familiar with um, paying attention to the body. So movement and breath work, um, using movement and breath together, uh, learning how to pay attention to sounds and to to the simple sensation of one foot after the other as you walk and adding kind or positive um or wholesome attitudes to our moments so reminding young kids to, that they can say something kind to themselves you know and how to walk with gratitude and you know things like that so I, but with with very young kids like k through second graders you kind of like want you got to have a whole bag of practices and conversation pieces and activities so that they're stimulated and so I've been working with my co-teacher Jennifer Jordan and Fred Percy and so many other amazing teachers. And if that anybody who works with kids will tell you that's the common denominator: is keeping them stimulated um, and making it fun for them, um, so that they can be a part of the conversation and things like that.
1: And how how do they come to the Dharma? Like how do they? It's for me. It's like what is kind of blowing my mind. Is you know I don't, I don't know. I'm like. F- 30 or 40 interviews deep on this podcast. Mm. And you are the first person who's talking mm-hmm. to me about children. Yeah. And and I have never thought about it. Uh-huh. And, and what you said is so true. It's like I started when I was 28, right? Yep. So here I am like picking away. At- just hacking away at that all that nonsense. <laughs> all that nonsense. It just fucking
0: sucks. Excuse yeah. my language, but yeah, just, well, I'll I, bleep
1: that out. But yeah, yeah,
0: my bad. Sorry. <laughs> no. it's, it's not fun though. Yeah, it is. It's 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 important work, but not fun. I just and I think that if we can, I, I found myself getting off the cushion so miserable and feeling defeated and feeling like just gosh, I just I like myself less now than when I than before I sat. Why am I even doing this? But then I'd have those breakthrough moments, those flashes where it would all make sense and, you know, talk about quality over quantity, you know, those, those moments would sustain my practice, but I really don't, didn't like the idea of the practice being like this fight or this like shame party or just this struggle, you know, like why can't we just, if we can have this more flexible attitude towards ourselves and towards life and towards one another and, um, and present that as a way of being from the jump, I think we'll just, it'll, we'll suffer less. That's the whole point of this is to suffer less. Right. <laughs> um, talking about the Dharma, when I started, it was like there was no real distinction between mindfulness and Dharma practice. Right. You know, that mindfulness was one of the arms of Dharma practice. Um, so th- these days you have different communities with different priorities. I find that within the insight meditation community, Within sanghas that operate as sanghas, you still have so much um, uh, interest from parents to introduce their children to uh, what is known as dharma practice. And then in the secular community, you have a ton of interest from parents, um, and then also teens and young adults, and and even preteens. And you know the kids end up loving if 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 you're able to have fun with them and 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 kind of meet them where they are then they then they end up loving what they call mindfulness practice you know so i i think we are at a point in our society where we're realizing that you know self care and um that we have to be responsible for our own happiness and that we we have the tools within our own minds and bodies to achieve that happiness um, I always like to say you are enough, you know, that, and I mean, what else do you have anyway?
1: <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because I just don't totally believe you because, <laughs> and, and I mean that in the most respectful way. In the sure, sense sure. of like, it's true. Like we're responsible for sitting down and doing our our work either in the cushion or chanting or however it is. But yeah. here you are running retreats for, yeah. for, children and families like we don't only have ourselves like you're you've made this decision to Mm. i'm sure it's not putting a ton of bread on your plate like you know probably some (laughs) but like it's 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 you're mostly doing it because it's not about having to do it on our like we're not
0: right right no you know i i appreciate that um in the streets, we call that a G check. Mm. <laughs> it's like you know. It's like you know. You, you listen. I, you know. I. You may think that you are that what you're saying is a fact, but here's a counter fact <laughs> too. <laughs> um, I think you. Part of why I do part of the 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 idea of sangha as a refuge is definitely the truth. Right. I personally would not be able to be available in the, to, to, to facilitate classes and retreats. If I didn't have help from, from my co-teachers, from retreat managers, from, you know, all these different people who are working together to, to make, to make them happen. And I, I look at what I do as just as like, I have this other saying that your joy is your purpose mm-hmm. or your joy is like your karma or whatever. Is the basically like what makes me the most happy is is teaching and making music right. and so I I am just doing my best to live in my joy as much as possible and to make that an example of how it's, of what I think we ought to be doing so it brings so it is work to put on retreats it definitely has not made me a, a millionaire yet
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I definitely But, you know, I've experienced so much satisfaction when a retreat is done and people are like, oh, my gosh, this was so helpful. Or when, you know, if I post something online and people say that, you know, this this was right on time, I just feel like, okay, well, I'm I'm not wasting my time here. And all of this is, you know, I want to I want to temper all this goodness by saying that I'm still dealing with a mountain of delusion
1: and delusional,
0: <laughs> and delusional activities that yeah. I'm trying to trying to you know, use my practice as a way to mitigate against those things. So I'm not realized in any way. I'm just trying to offer what I know through teachings and through my own experience to um, help myself find the way and help others do the same thing.
1: Right. Now I watched a video of you, you were speaking to a, it looked like an auditorium at a High school or something like that, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you were rapping, and yep, yep. there was another place where you were using the the term Upaya or or skillful means. Mm, and mm. I was looking at you rapping and and talking to these kids and and talking about mm. dharma and and there was this part of me that's like, oh man, what an incredible, you know, skillful means for yeah. reaching an audience about. You know the path of liberation, like that. What you're experiencing now is impermanent. It might feel really heavy, yeah. But it's it's gonna pass, and if you if you explore it, it actually will get easier. Yes. And to think about hip hop as being one of the vehicles for Buddhism now is like <laughs> it's amazing. And so you perform under the name Born I. Yes, which I think I read was Born Infinite, or is that correct, or is that?
0: Yes, it began as Born Infinite, and then I, um, I when I was in a group called Shambhala or Shambhala, and I was I was I was Born Infinite in that group. When I went solo, I just kind of wanted to make a clean break there, so I changed my name to Born I Music, um, and then just recently I dropped the music off of. Uh, uh, off of the name and it's just uh born i but the i still stands for infinite yeah <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. felt like clearly influenced for, in the sense of the dharma and
0: yes yeah absolutely you know i mean you know one a, a seminal group from the 90s wu-tang clan was also were also like dharma teachers for me in a sense because there was so there was so much um eastern philosophy interwoven in the whole aesthetic of wu-tang clan right and so they kind of helped they kind of made this this way of being this you know peaceful warrior kind of um um idea you know very palatable and appealing to me and i and i always and i feel like what i'm when i'm what I'm doing as a as an MC is a, is an homage to what I learned from Wu Tang and also from several other artists um, when I was growing up and who are out currently. And the way that I think my voice is unique is just that is, you know, that my my Buddhist and mindfulness practice just informs informs my music. It's you know sometimes my music is 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 vulgar and it and talks about you know, attraction to the material world because that's a real thing, Sure. you know? But then I try to extend the narrative and say that, you know, I really do know, some part of me knows deep down that whatever I'm attracted to is just, it's not going to make me happy in that ultimate sense or it's not going to last. So this is like a fool's errand, you know, to to be enthralled with um, gold chains and Lamborghinis and all those types of things. But we can't... (laughs) I'm not going to say that those things aren't pretty just that's like saying sugar's not <laughs> sweet. sugar is sweet, but too much of it will give you diabetes. Right. And my music is kind of like a an exploration of wherever I'm at in the moment and, and how I'm trying to work through it. So the, the album that I'm working on right now, I think, is like my most honest work. And I'm really, really excited about it.
1: Yeah. So the last, the group that you were in, Shambhala or Shambhala, mm-hmm. yeah. was, was your partner also influenced by Buddhism or how did that? Yes. Wow, yep. that's so interesting. I love it. Yeah. We, you know, we, and, and
0: as as an underground hip hop phenomenon, we found a decent amount of success. It was, it was a, it was a remarkable time. He was more influenced by the Taoist teachings, mm-hmm. which when he met with Buddhism, you know, gave rise to the Chan School. And that's where you got, you know, um. A lot of our Zen traditions, right? Um,
1: of course, you have Dead um, Prez doing the whole I Ching, which did, he, right. Yeah, all that.
0: You do have small echoes of of rappers and, and people of color, you know, um, being informed and 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 adopting the philosoph- adopting or or incorporating uh, Eastern philosophies into into their music and into just their way of life. I I think more and more, it's it's easier to um, express those things without getting a lot of like cultural head turns and people wondering what you're doing and and um and things like that. You know, there's like a saying, "Everything is everything," and I I believe I believe that you know we have we have access to all this human information. You know, we should use it.
1: <laughs> right. I I think sort of as the. The grip of, and I, I don't say this in a disrespectful way to Christianity, but as, you know, the, it has been so culturally dominant, mm. Christianity, and, and a lot of people are just not feeling it in the same way. And yeah. so, you know, you've seen this explosion of, of Buddhism, I think partly in the response of, you know, people having a strong spiritual desire, uh, yes. but just not feeling, because of the cultural baggage of Christianity, just not feeling like that's going to work for them. And... um and where, and where,
0: right. you know. I, I think I think what you I think those those two words cultural baggage I think that's what people are not necessarily wanting to carry because mm-hmm. I don't have any problem with Christianity or or or, or Jesus Christ at all or the cons, the core of that of the religion itself I'm very much informed by it you know and and but I think it is the there is a lot of cultural baggage um, there and it makes sense that some people would have. Issues with that, and if you look deeply enough into Buddhism, you'll find some issues oh, as my well. God,
1: so many, <laughs> well, It's just that we don't have that same cultural baggage, you know.
0: And and there isn't quite the same sort of worldwide imperialism right. attached to it as well. But at the risk of sounding like I or we are like denigrating Christianity, you know, I I I just I just think that also. Information is just so much more available to people and people are freer to make more choices based on having more access to information. And I, if I didn't have the internet as a way to like just become this Buddhist nerd, I mean, not only <laughs> did I… You know, I, I, at any given day, I could, I could read the Mulya, Mula Mula Karika from the I could read the Flower Ornament Sutra. I could right. read all the uh, Satipatthana Sutra. I mean, I just went at, a, at the click of a button, you know. Right. And people, people used to travel miles to get from one text to another. Right. You know, nations. You know, some some text was in Tibet. Some text was in china some texts in india you know you fam- know famous translators now we
1: can just go to boot <laughs> right or it's i mean it's coming through you know the rappers right like, it's really kind of interesting the way it's showing up
0: so i really would like to share a verse that i wrote this is uh i, I haven't really shared this with anybody yet but um uh, i'd like to share this verse if that's cool
1: yeah go ahead
0: I try to focus excitement, sit in the lotus alignment. The truth is that I want to know what's inside. And the Buddha said, you'll never know till you try it. So I sit in silence and steady my breathing and try to see something I never believed. And I want to know every part of my soul, part of my soul, how it develops and how it unfolds. All these emotions lock me in a prison. Soon as I notice they're gone in an instant. Knock, knock. Who's there when the door swings? Robin Hood with the arrow in the bow strings. Look for the light at the end of the tunnel. All of the ways I defended my struggle. I am the child. I am the parent. I am illusion I am awareness I am the pain that I didn't take care of that turned into all of the things that I'm scared of what do I notice is none of it lasts same as the lightning and thunder that crash all of the thoughts and the feelings and fears stay for a moment and then disappear everything in me is naturally free all that's required is i let it be i am the sun i am the storm they call me infinite when i was born i am enough as the mantra repeated for all of the love that for all of the love and compassion that's needed and yes i might fall again but then i'll rise again sitting cross-legged and closing my eyes again and closing my eyes again and closing my eyes again look at yourself in this moment ask yourself how do you feel All that you know is this moment. It's the only thing that's real. Look at yourself in this moment. Ask yourself, how do you feel? All that you know is this moment. It's the only thing that's real.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Sit, Breathe, Bow. I hope you found the conversation with Afosu Jones-Korte, a.k.a. Born I, encouraging and helpful for your practice. To find out more about his retreat schedule, visit imcw.org or spiritrock.org and search for families. He's also dropping a single in June. You can find it on all of the digital platforms under the name Born Eye. A special thanks to our sponsor, the Quantum Online Sangha. Listeners of this podcast are eligible for a free month of training, which includes live Q&A interviews with Zen teachers, discounts on webinars and online classes, and access to a private community where students can discuss their practice and receive guidance. To receive your free month of training, simply visit quantumzenonline.org and use the promo code Bow, all one word. And please consider subscribing and leaving a review of this podcast. It helps introduce us to new listeners. I'm your host, Ian Whitemar, and I hope you'll join me again next week.